0: Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question. And we'll give you more information. We'll give you resources so that you can access online courses and other events and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started, and thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast.
1: Welcome to the Legal One podcast. My name is Sandra Jakes, and I am the supervisor of legal research and content development for Legal One. Today's episode is part of a 12-part series highlighting major U.S. and New Jersey Supreme Court decisions, why they are relevant today, and how the law has evolved since that decision. Today, we are discussing student First Amendment rights in light of a major US Supreme Court decision, Tinker v. Des Moines. Tinker is the seminal case on student First Amendment rights nationally. Any matter involving student First Amendment rights, regardless of the state from which it emanates, begins with a discussion of Tinker. Today, I have with me special guest, Rose Chera, Federal Legislative Chair, immediate past president, New Jersey PTA. Welcome, Rose.
2: Thank you, Sandra. It's a
1: pleasure to be here with you today. So the Tinker case was decided in 1969 by the U.S. Supreme Court. The facts of the case are that back in 1965, a 13-year-old Mary Beth Tinker and a group of students planned to wear black armbands to school to protest the Vietnam War. The school board learned of the planned protest and passed a preemptive ban prohibiting the wearing of the black armbands there was concern that there were relatives and friends of people in the school who were in the war or serving in the military and that it might be offensive if those armbands were worn. When Ms. Tinker and the other students arrived at the school on December 16th wearing their black armbands, they were asked to remove them. When the students refused to remove the black armbands, they were suspended. The students then filed a First Amendment lawsuit, which ultimately became a landmark U.S. Supreme Court decision. In that decision, the U.S. Supreme Court ultimately found in favor of the students and held that their First Amendment rights had been violated. The U.S. Supreme Court stated that schools can restrict student expression only if the expression materially and substantially interferes with the requirements of appropriate discipline in the operation of the school. Schools cannot silence speech, which does not disrupt the school environment and does not negatively interfere with the rights of others. Schools cannot prohibit speech simply to avoid discomfort or unpleasantness or because the point of view expressed is unpopular. So to take the legal ease out of that, they can't ban something simply because they don't like it or they're afraid someone's feelings might get hurt. People have a right to express their opinions, so although there may have been a legitimate concern that people might have been offended who had relatives that were fighting in the war or things along those lines, that was not a legitimate concern that would cause a disruption sufficient to ban the students from wearing the armbands. You couldn't take away their First Amendment rights just because you didn't agree with the point of view or it might cause some unpleasantness or some discomfort. So looking at a further analysis of the case, it should be noted that this is conduct on school grounds. And that becomes a very important differentiation because students have a different set of criteria for how their conduct can be disciplined whether it occurs on school grounds or off of school grounds. So for on school grounds, as was in the Tinker case, a lot of their speech is protected. It's a very broad ruling. You have to be able to show speech that does not materially and substantially interfere with the operation of the school. What is not protected? Threats of violence, and that communication can be in many forms with words or symbols or clothing. As an example, dress codes are legal, and there have been cases say that there is a gang in the particular area, it's okay for the school district to say if the gang colors in that area are red, the school district can say you can't wear red to school because that's a legitimate possible threat that if people were red to school, that would cause a problem. Other cases that came down the pike after the Tinker decision have clarified what cannot be said on school grounds, and that includes promoting illegal drugs where you can't put out signs saying that you're promoting drugs or wear shirts or paraphernalia that promote drugs, lewd and vulgar language, you can't give speeches or you can't swear, or HIB, bullying under the state of New Jersey law, that causes substantial disruption in the school. And there will be a further discussion of the HIB law in a later podcast, but in essence, you should understand that the First Amendment defense is not an automatic defense to bullying. It's a common claim, but it's not necessarily one that will win. So then, There are other questions that arise, such as, may public school students express views that are directly opposed to school district policies? The answer is yes, unless expressing their views will substantially disrupt the work and discipline of the school. May public schools ever act to prevent students from expressing views at school relating to sexual issues? Yes, if the student expression causes a substantial disruption or is lewd, vulgar, indecent, or plainly offensive, and or if the language is inappropriate based on the age and maturity levels of the students. These types of issues are a case-by-case analysis. It is hard to put out a black and white standard of this is okay and that is not. It will be something that's judged on a case-by-case basis depending on the student, the age, the school, the situation and what's going on. But these cases set the groundwork for how the evaluation is done. So now we will take a look at conduct that occurs off of school grounds. And a lot of times this involves things that occur over the internet or with emails or online or that type of situation. And there are two cases from 2011 where there were two students that had been suspended from their school. And while they were home, they were very unhappy with their school. And they created fake website pages where they made fun of their administrator and they put things on there that were horrible to an educator's reputation. They put things on there like the educator was an alcohol abuser a sex addict, a thief, and anything else that you could think of that would just be horrible for an educator to have associated with them. When the districts found out about what their students had done, they disciplined the students. The students then sued their respective districts for a violation of their First Amendment rights. And ultimately in both cases, the students prevailed. And when the Third Circuit Court of Appeals did their analysis, they decided that the students had the right to say what they wanted to say, and that what they had done did not violate any rights. The school did not have the ability to discipline them. It had not caused a substantial disruption in the school. If they had done these types of things while they were in school, that would have been different. But since they were at home when they did it, they had the ability to vent or say what they wanted to say while they were home. That leads us to a very current case. The case is called Levy, and I'll spell it for you in case you want to Google it. It's L-E-V-Y. This is an ongoing case where the decision came down June of last year, June of 2020. There was a freshman who tried out for the cheerleading squad. She ultimately made the JV team, and she was very unhappy that she only made JV. So while she was out at a mall, she took a picture of herself giving the middle finger, and then she added the words F school, F softball, F cheer, F everything, and she posted it on Snapchat. This got circulated among her 250 friends and eventually made its way back to the coaches. The coaches then kicked her off the JV squad and they claimed that she had violated the school policy relative to extracurricular activities. The student challenged the discipline, but the school held firm and said, no, you can't do that, you're off the team. So she sued claiming a violation of her first amendment rights. And the court agreed with the student the school district appealed the case to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court has granted cert, which means they have agreed to hear the case. And so this case is currently before the U.S. Supreme Court. We should have a decision sometime during the 2021 year. But until we get a decision from the U.S. Supreme Court, the decision that came down in June 2020 still stands. So you need to understand what the Third Circuit Court of Appeals said. And what their rationale was for not allowing the school district to discipline Ms. Levy was that Tinker does not apply to student expression that constitutes off-campus speech provided the speech is not threatening or harassing. Off-campus speech under the third circuit's view is speech that is no way controlled, owned, or sponsored by the school. Now that's a very important sentence because it can be applied elsewhere in that given the pandemic, we've been doing Zoom school or whatever platform your district may be using. So when your child is taking classes via Zoom or again, whatever platform your school is using, that would be considered on campus because the school is controlling it, they own it, they're sponsoring it. So they would have the on-campus standard, things that are in the chat box, things that occur while those types of classes are going on. The Third Circuit Court appeals went on to say, that the conduct, if occurring off campus, even if it causes substantial disruption within the schools or materially and substantially interferes with the requirements of appropriate discipline would be legal and not subject to school discipline because it would receive the normal First Amendment protection afforded outside the school context. To take the legal ease out of that, the kids can vent. If they wanna vent and complain and just say whatever they wanna say, it doesn't matter how obnoxious it is or how, vulgar it is, as long as it's not harassing or threatening, they can do it off school grounds. They have a right to say what they feel and how they think. So that case is currently going through the U.S. Supreme Court. I would say watch the news to see if there's a decision. And I would say check back probably in the fall, because once there is a decision, I'm sure I'll do another podcast on it to explain whatever the U.S. Supreme Court has said about it. Now, there are a couple other points that come out of this that even though the school district could not discipline Ms. Levy for what she posted on Snapchat, there are other things to consider, such as this is an opportunity to talk to her about digital citizenship issues. Okay, fine, the school can't discipline her, but they should have a discussion with her about the fact that when she's Googled for the rest of her life, this is going to come up. So when she applies to colleges or she applies for jobs, they're going to see this and they're going to see that when she doesn't get her way, this is the type of behavior she shows. People need to understand that what stuff that's on the internet never goes away. So if they're gonna post things and they're gonna put not nice behavior on the internet, it's gonna follow them the rest of their lives. They have to be careful. Stuff that they post when they're 13, 14, 15 can come back to haunt them when they're 25, 26, 27. There needs to be help to understand that. Another issue that comes up, has come from a lot of counselors. When I've talked about this case in groups since the decision came down, the counselors have brought up the potential mental health issues. And that the fact that she had put out there F everything concerns them. And it would lead them to do a wellness check or to follow up with her to see what's wrong. Why is she so disgusted with everything? What's going on in her life that she feels that nothing is right and everything is wrong. And they ha- she has to post something like this. So even though they can't discipline her, the school may still get involved and follow up with her because they're on notice that she has done something that may be detrimental to her. Additionally, there may be other penalties depending on what she does. Now, as far as discipline goes, the language that the court used was that it can't be threatening or harassing. If it does become threatening or harassing speech, it could potentially be a criminal issue. There are penalties under New Jersey law that it could be a third degree felony if something is deemed a terroristic threat. And there have been students that have gotten in trouble for, as they claimed, joking that they were going to blow up the school or they were going to bring a gun to school or they were going to do something along those lines. And when the police came knocking on the door, their response was, oh, I was just joking. I was just fooling around and the police take it very seriously. Additionally, the school district has a requirement under something called the memorandum of agreement to report to the police anything that's considered a bias related incident basically what that means is that if the child does something based on a student's protected class status, they have an obligation to notify the police. So the police may get involved if the school district becomes aware of something that a student has posted that harms another student based on their protected class status. So it may start a series of dominoes falling. The kids may think they're being funny or just putting something up there, but it may start something that gets a lot of state agencies involved and a lot of trouble that they just weren't expecting because they thought they were being cute or they were being funny. And I think that particular topic dovetails nicely into the discussion that we'll be having with Rose Achera, who is our parental expert here today. So I will pose the first question to you, Rose. How do you think schools and parents can work together to promote a greater understanding of a student's First Amendment rights?
2: Thanks, Sandra. So I think it's very important that there are expectations set. What does the school expect from a student? What does a student expect from the school? Where does that parents view also lie within there? Parents need to know that there are policies set, and they need to know what those school policies are, and then also make sure that their child is made aware of these policies. And that even though a child sometimes sets out to express themselves, that's fine. That sometimes, as you mentioned today in this podcast, that there's good ways to do that and not such good ways to do that. Um, Another thing I think it's also very important for the schools to have that voice of the student involved in some of the decision making. You know, we always do have parents on groups. We have a board of education. But I'm aware that a lot of Board of Education have a student voice on their board, or maybe there's other stakeholder groups that hold meetings that set policies or discuss what's going on in the school that they can have that student voice. So that student voice feels represented.
1: How about if a child has gotten in trouble for something that they said in school or online, how do you think parents and school officials can work together?
2: So we always recommend myself, and when I was a local president, uh, when we have parents that call the PTA office upset on the state level, we always recommend that you reach out to the principal for a meeting. You know, hopefully you've tried to work it out with the teacher, but again, sometimes it's great to set up a meeting with the principal, include your child in that meeting, make sure your child's side has been expressed. You know, sometimes there's so many misinterpretations of what really happened, so again, it's important that your child is there, understands what they think that they did wrong, and they could say what they really meant by something, and hopefully it could be worked out on that level. And if you're still not satisfied as a parent, you know, a parent has to be their child's biggest advocate, attend a board of education meeting where they could speak to the superintendent and other board of education members also.
1: Sometimes a person's online posts cause problems for them years after the original posts. How can schools and parents work together to raise awareness of the potential impact of what students post online? Sandra, I love this topic, and I'm
2: so glad that you actually mentioned it, because as parents and also educators, when we tell our kids, watch what you post online, watch what you're putting on social media. They roll their eyes, you know, when educators tell them it's gonna get you in trouble one day applying for colleges or applying for a job. As PTAs, we really recommend the, whether it's a PTA in your school or a parent group, um, bring in some guest speakers. And now with Zoom, everything is on Zoom, it's so easy to do to get a guest speaker that can come in and open it up to both students, to parents, actually, you know, even educators, and let these stories be shared of what has really happened. I myself know, as a parent I've heard, there was a woman whose daughter had gotten this full ride to Princeton University, and then all of a sudden, um, they went looking into her social media, and not sure what they found, but her scholarship was revoked. Even simple things as being in pictures on Instagram or Facebook with a red cup. It could be water in that red cup, but you know, people assume the worst. So you have to really be careful of what you are posting online, even like in middle school, because it it can come back to haunt you.
1: How can schools and parents work together to raise awareness of what is permissible or acceptable speech without limiting a student's legitimate right to express themselves in a school setting or even just in general?
2: So, collaboration is just so important collaborating with educators, collaborating with administrators, other parent groups, you know, working with the PTA or any parent group that you have at your school. You want to be able to make sure all the voices are heard and that all sides are being protected. And again, this is such a great topic that we could get the word out. We have student councils. We have national honor societies that have, these are the leaders. These are the students that can help make other students aware, but also make parents aware of what is going on in the schools and how they're feeling about some of these rights
1: in general overall. I wanna thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like more information about this topic or any others, you're welcome to come to the Legal One website. You can also go to the NJPTA website, www.njpta.org. Legal One website is www.njpsa.org backslash Legal One New Jersey backslash. And you're welcome to take any courses, workshops or webinars. Rose, do you have any final words before we end our podcast today? Yes, Sandra, thank you for having
2: me join you today. This was great. I myself learned more, and hopefully our parents will learn more also. Again, like you said, please feel free to reach out to New Jersey PTA for anything. We are an advocacy association, so any problems that go on in the school that you would just like us to be able to empower parents to help them advocate for their child, we're there. There's our website. You shared that. And you could just email NJPTA at NJPTA.org. And as always, I'd love to thank Legal One and NJPSA for this great opportunity and partnership that we have together.
1: Thank you for attending today's podcast. And I look forward to talking to you the next time. Stay safe, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org
1: legal1nj.